accompany him to a funeral. I didn't know the lady who had died. Uh, he just wanted to get me some pastoral experience, and he'd been pastoring for many, many years and wanted me to see how to do a funeral in case the time ever came. And so I went with him to the funeral. We arrived. I didn't know any of the family. It wasn't a very big group, probably about as many as we have in our church today. And when he began the funeral, he said the wrong name of the lady who had died. Her name was Dorothy, and he had said Ruth. And so he was embarrassed. And in fact, he didn't notice it until people from the congregation began like shouting her name at him while he was trying to give the funeral message. And again, he didn't really know the lady who had died. He'd just been asked to do the funeral. And so a time later came, and it was time to go out to the lobby and dismiss and just leave the family in there. So they started dismissing from the back row, which I was sitting in. So I was actually the first person to be dismissed. I came up, I saw the body, and then I walked into the lobby. I was standing out there for a time, and a guy came up to me, and he said, So how do you know Ruth, I think was her name? And I said, Well... I really don't, actually. And as I began to explain, you know, why I was there, he just kind of gave me this disgusted look and said, oh, and just walked away like I was some kind of funeral crasher or, or something. Maybe you've been called the wrong name by someone. I've had several people call me the wrong name or think I was someone that I really wasn't. It's funny when I go to the school, some of the kids will be like, I know you from somewhere. You know, I've seen you somewhere. And I said, you definitely don't know me from anywhere and they say, well, did you graduate from Indian Creek? No, I actually came from out of town, you know, but they're just sure that I, that they know me from somewhere. We don't like it when people don't know us, right? You don't like it when somebody forgets your name. You don't like to not know someone. Uh, my mom is really, really good with names. Uh, my dad can be kind of forgetful about names, and he's really good with numbers. He might not be able to tell you somebody's name. He could tell you their phone number, though, if he uh, had it down somewhere. We don't like not knowing people. And one of the most important questions we'll have this holiday season is, who is Jesus? Now, everybody, I would guess, even in the world, is going to have some opinion on who Jesus is. If they're a Christian, they will say, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season or something like that. Um, if they're an atheist, they're going to say Jesus is no one. Jesus was just a good person. Or anywhere in between, everybody has some kind of idea on who Jesus is actually is and of the plethora of questions you'll have this holiday season and isn't christmas time just full of a bunch of questions what am i going to get this person where are we going to have christmas what are we going to eat all of these different questions that you might have about christmas the most important question you'll answer this december is who is jesus who is jesus and you might have been going to this church for a long time, longer than I've been alive. Maybe you've been going to church for not very long. You still have to ask yourself this question. Maybe you know him as your savior. Maybe you don't. The question still remains, who is Jesus? And so we're going to see in the next four weeks who Jesus is. And in the Bible, there are three offices, three, they call them messianic offices, I would say three different roles that Jesus has. Now, he's obviously God, and I would say that 100%. But while he was here on earth, Jesus had three different roles in how he ministered to people. Today, we're going to talk about how Jesus was a prophet. Now, he wasn't just a prophet, and some of the people in the New Testament make that mistake. They say, you know, when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they're like, well, some people say you're a prophet. But Jesus was a prophet. 
Jesus had a message from God to give to the people. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus intercedes for us just like a priest goes to God on behalf of the Jewish people. Christ goes to God on our behalf. And then the third Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus the King. Jesus came to earth, the King of the world, but he was not always treated like a king. So I said there's three, but there's four Sundays. On Christmas Day, we want to look at Jesus the Savior. Jesus came to the world to be the Savior of mankind. But today we're focusing on Jesus as the prophets. He's 100% God, but Jesus came to earth with a message. We'll talk a little bit more about the prophetic ministry of Christ. But I think we see this pretty clearly in the passage Tim read for us in John chapter 12. So I hope you still have your fingers there in John chapter 12 or maybe a bookmark or something there. Jesus came to be a prophet. What I want us to see today is this. It's that Jesus, the prophet, calls you to believe in him. This is actually the center of John's gospel. You get to the end of John's gospel and he's saying, you know, why did I write all this stuff? He says, I wrote these things to you so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ and that you may believe in him. John is proving that Jesus is God and many people, when they talk about, okay, the themes of the Gospels, you know, Matthew shows Jesus as a king. Luke just shows Jesus as a human. Well, John shows Jesus as God, but it's not just to show Jesus as God, but it's so that we can believe in him. It's why if you're ever witnessing to someone, I think a great book to go through with someone as you're sharing the Gospel with them is the book of John. And why is that? Because John is written so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ. And so what I want us to see from John's gospel today is that Jesus the prophet calls you, calls me to believe in him. Now as we're looking at these messianic offices, as we're looking at Jesus as the prophet, I want to briefly just talk about what did a prophet do? In the Old Testament, we find that there were prophets who would come to the nation of Israel with a message. That's the main function. They had a message from God. They would come to Israel and speak that message to them. Now, there are a couple other nations maybe they would talk to, but Israel is the main focus of the Old Testament. So they would come to Israel with a message, and they had some tests to see whether or not they were truly from God. If you were a prophet, you had to be 100% accurate in what you predicted. If you weren't accurate, then you were not from God, and you'd probably be killed or stoned or persecuted in some kind of way we see in the old testament history books there were different prophets remember nathan with david david thought he'd hidden his sin that no one else knew about it and nathan comes to him and says you are the man so prophets are used to rebuke sometimes god's leaders prophets are also used to warn people of coming doom remember jonah now jonah is not maybe the best example of a good prophet because he didn't want to go tell the people god's message but he was told, hey, go to Nineveh, tell them that if they don't repent in 40 days, I'm going to wipe out their city. Now, you see in Jonah and with other prophets, sometimes prophets' messages weren't really liked, were they? In fact, most of the time, people rejected the prophets. Some of the prophets were killed. 
Some of the prophets were persecuted. Some of them faced all kinds of other rejection to their message. But they were given a message by God to give to the people. So this brings us to the prophetic ministry of Jesus. If you look at Deuteronomy 18.18, it talks about Moses saying that God would raise up a prophet. He's referring to Jesus, a prophet from God. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Hebrews 1.1, which says, Long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the prophets would give people a message. But what else does he say? He says, But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus is a prophet. He is our prophet. But he's not just a prophet, but the rest of that verse says, whom he has appointed to be the heir of all things. Jesus is not only a prophet, Jesus is God. And what we're going to see this morning is he has a message for us. And it is life if you accept that message, and it is death if you reject the message of Jesus. And so what I want us to see today is two warnings from Jesus the prophet. Warning number one, we should not reject Christ's signs. We should not reject Christ's signs. We're going to see this in verses 37 through 43. Look with me at verse 37. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Immediately you wonder, okay, what is Jesus talking about? What has he just said? Well, in the more immediate context, you see that there's a triumphal entry. You know, Palm Sunday, when people wave the palm branches, Jesus came in riding on a donkey and he's called the king. And you think, man, people are accepting Jesus. People know why Jesus came. But then after that, we see some confusion about who Jesus is, what Jesus was going to do. What was his mission here on earth? So Christ has faced some immediate rejection even after the triumphal entry. But really, the book of John shows us that people are not believing the message of Jesus. If you've studied the book of John in some great detail, it's split up into two different sections. The first section is called the book of signs. The book of signs. There's seven signs in the gospel of John, and they mainly correspond with some of the big miracles in John. In John 2, he changes water into wine. In John 4, he heals a royal official's son. In John 5, he heals a paralytic, a man who couldn't walk. In John 6, he feeds the 5,000. In John 6, he also walks on water. In John 9, he heals a man born blind. And then in John 11, which is pretty close to where we are in John 12, Jesus raises Lazarus. Jesus gives these signs, but he doesn't just have signs to give signs. We talked a little bit about uh, God's word and inspiration in Sunday school and prophecy. Jesus didn't just do these things so that he could get a name for himself. We're going to see also in this text, guess what? Jesus didn't just come to earth because he wanted to, because he was some rebellious kid who wanted to get away from his father. Jesus came to earth because God sent him. Now, Jesus is God, yes, but Jesus, being the second person of the Trinity, obeyed the Father's will in coming to the earth to give us a message and these signs were part of this message these signs were given to the people so that they would what 
Well, what's the point of John? So that they would believe that Jesus is the Christ. But did they accept these signs? The majority of them, no, they did not. And some who even did, like Nicodemus, came to Jesus in the middle of the night so that people wouldn't know that he was a secret follower of Christ. So just keep all of that in the background as we think of what Christ is doing. Now we see in verse 37 that Christ departed. He hid himself from the people. Well, why did he do that? Is he just being shy? Did he want to get away from the people? Well, no, it actually fits pretty well with what Jesus is saying. If you look up in the uh, verses in verses 35 through 36, you see that Jesus is the light. He's with them, but he says the light's not always going to be here forever. This last section of John 12 is actually going to be Jesus's last words in his public ministry to people, at least in the book of John. Everything he's going to say after that is just to his disciples. So he's saying, hey, the light's not always going to be here forever. And then he goes and he hides himself from them. John here in the first section we're looking at, he's giving like a narrator's explanation of what is going on. If you like reading, maybe you don't like reading. If you've read fiction books sometimes, sometimes the narrator will give some explanation as to what is going on in the story. And John does that a little bit more than most of the other gospel writers. Look at what he says in verse 37. Though he had done so many signs before him, they did not believe in him. He's saying exactly what I said. Jesus did seven signs in front of the people, way more than that, obviously with all the miracles he did. But seven specific signs in John, he did these things, but they did not believe in him. Why do people not believe the message of Jesus the prophet? Have you ever wondered that? Maybe you've shared the gospel with someone, and it's just clear as day. They should believe in the gospel. You have given them all this evidence from scripture. You have told them the truth. You've seen the gospel work in your life. You think, why is this person not believing? Well, John's going to explain that to us because it is really the heart of mankind not to believe in God. What was the first sin that was committed? Satan told Adam and Eve, has God really said that you should not eat of the tree? And Eve doubts. She doesn't believe God. She takes the fruit. She eats it. Adam takes the fruit, eats it, doesn't believe God. And sin enters into the world. So John's going to give us some context to this in verse 39. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah, might be fulfilled. What is he talking about? Look with me at Isaiah 53 for just a moment. This is what John is quoting here for us. He's going to quote two passages from Isaiah. The first is Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is more commonly cited with Easter than with Christmas, but it talks about the suffering servant. Christ, the suffering servant, who came to the earth, was rejected by his people, and suffered for your sins and for mine. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord revealed? 
Now, what is he talking about? Well, look at verse 13 of chapter 54, or chapter 52. He says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. He starts talking about this suffering servant, Jesus Christ, sent to the world. But a better translation, maybe another way you could translate that first verse is, why do people not believe in the message of us? If you know anything about Isaiah's ministry, he was not accepted as a prophet. In fact, I believe Isaiah died by being sawed in half by the king. He was not accepted as a prophet. And so Jesus, the prophet, can even identify a little bit with what Isaiah went through. And Isaiah is saying, why do people not believe in what I'm telling them? We'll get that next phrase. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is another name for Jesus or the suffering servant. He is the one revealed by God. Isaiah's book is really revealing Christ and predicting Christ, or at least in specific parts in this part. And Isaiah is saying, why do they not believe in the message? Why don't they believe in the suffering servant? So John's showing, hey, this isn't a new problem. People don't believe in the message from God. I said it happened with Adam and Eve. Think about Israel in the wilderness. So many times, you know, they just left slavery. They were going extinct. They were killing the male babies of Israel. So they would go extinct. And what did Israel say? Why can't we just go back to Egypt? It was so great in Egypt. You know, why can't we just go back there? And Moses and God are, you know, racking their heads together saying, what is up with these people? Why are they so, yeah, dumb maybe. It might be a good way to put it, Linda. Why are they so opposed to what God says? It's because their hearts are hardened. It's because deep down for you and for me, we don't want to believe what God says. We've been talking about this in Thursday Bible study whether you're a Gentile, which all of us are, or a Jew, we've hardened our hearts towards God. God has said, do this and don't sin. And we have gone in the opposite direction. Sin has infected each and every one of us. Not so that we're as bad as we could be, so that every part of us is tainted by sin. So you wonder, how could all these awful things happen in the world? It is because sin has infected us all, and perfect justice would be for us all to die apart from God and spend eternity in hell. But God did not desire that for any of us. He sent prophets to talk to Israel in the Old Testament. He sends Christ to talk to us in the New Testament, just like the author of Hebrews says. So as John gives us this first citation from Isaiah, he's saying, hey, this isn't a new problem this is in the heart of man. Think about yourself even this morning. What do you fail to believe about God? You might say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you might be a Christian. You probably are a Christian. But are there things God has told you that you do not believe, that you do not grasp? Isaiah gives another citation, or Luke gives another citation from Isaiah. Look at verse 39. Therefore, they could not believe. Their hearts are hardened, so actually, they couldn't believe in this message. He quotes Isaiah 6, verse 10. Look with me at verse 40, his citation of it. He says, He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their heart, 
lest they see with their eyes and they understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. They don't believe because they can't, because their eyes are blind. This is referring to spiritual blindness. Their hearts are hardened. Their innermost parts of themselves are hardened. They're turned against God because of this unbelief. If their eyes were not blind, if their hearts were not hardened, they would turn. They would believe. Christ would heal them. So you read this and you say, wait a second, does God not want them to repent? Does God not want them to be saved? And the answer is no, he actually does want them to be saved. And that is why he sent Jesus the prophet. Jesus would say later, hey, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Christ didn't come to pronounce judgment. We were already condemned ourselves. Christ came to save us. Now we struggle a little bit with verse 41. Look at verse 41 with me. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. What is John talking about? He's talking about a scene in Isaiah 6. Turn there with me just briefly. It's a very important passage in Scripture. It shows us the holiness and majesty of God. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he recounts his call to ministry. And he says he has this vision where he's in the throne room of God. Look at what it says in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with, two he, and with two he flew. There we go. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. This is a majestic scene of God and his holiness. And we often read this thinking this is God the Father. And I still think it is. I'll explain it in a second. But what does John say? He says that this is Jesus. He says that this is Christ's glory. He says Isaiah saw his glory. Isaiah saw his glory and then spoke of him. So you're saying, is this God or is this Jesus? I think the answer is yes. I think Isaiah saw God the Father high and lifted up. But what John is doing here is showing us that the same glory that God had in heaven, Christ shares with him as God's son. So Isaiah did see God the Father. He also saw the glory of Jesus. Now look with me at verses 42 and 43. John's giving us a theological explanation of unbelief. He's now going to give us a practical example of unbelief. Look at verse 42. <clears throat> Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. How do we know this is true? Think of Nicodemus. He came to Christ seeking to know if he was the son of God. Yet he came in secret. Why? He's afraid. He's afraid of what the Jews would do. And John's going to explain that. He says, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not 
confess it so they would not be put out of the synagogue. So some really were convinced Jesus was the Christ, but where did that belief take them? It made them hide. It made them afraid. It made them worry. They're saying, wait a second, I could be put out of the synagogue. I could lose my social status. I would lose all of these friends. And John gives us an explanation of their hearts in verse 43. He says, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory of God. So the question is, did they believe? Did they believe? They believed to the point where it cost them something. They believed to the point where they had to make it public. And then at that point, they cared more about the glory of man than the glory of God. So I'd say at this point, unless they repented, no, they did not really believe, at least in a point where it changed their lives. Not a belief that we see given in the New Testament. These officials show us something about why people don't believe. Their hearts are hardened. John has shown us that. They also care more about the fear of man. We're not persecuted for being Christians today. We don't have people, at least in America, who persecute us by putting us to death. It may not be a popular thing, but it was even more unpopular in Christ's day. They did not want to be seen as rebels or outsiders. So they caved and they followed the glory of man rather than the glory of God. And this can happen even for us today as well. It is becoming more and more countercultural to be a Christian, to have Christian values and morals. It's not shown as being loving according to society. So the more and more we go into this world and we see things change, the more we will have to decide, do you love glory that comes from God or do you love glory that comes from man? Sometimes we feel bad for these people. We think maybe Christ is being too hard on them, you know. They saw physical signs from Jesus. They saw Christ's miracles. They saw him in the flesh, and they still rejected him. Jesus talks about this in Matthew. He says, Woe to all these different cities, because they rejected Christ. <clears throat> they had a hard heart. Some people say, I can't believe in a God that I can't see. They saw God. They saw God in the flesh. It's even more devastating for us. We have God's word. We have God's word in almost every language. We can understand it. We have so many commentaries, pastors, people who can help us understand the gospel. Yet people still don't believe do you believe in Jesus, the prophet, his message, his gospel? Do you believe that salvation comes through him and him alone? They had all the signs. They had all the things that they could look at and say, this is actually happening now. And they still did not believe. I was walking my dog one day and it was starting to look dark. 
in the storm, and I hate storms, by the way, hate storms. So I'm walking him, and it starts getting dark, and I said, oh, it's not going to storm yet. Everybody starts going inside, and even Max looking at me like, hey, we should turn around. And I'm like, no, it's not that bad. And then I get an alert on my phone, tornado warning, seek shelter now. The problem was we were as far away as you could get from my apartment. We were like a mile away. There was no shortcut to get back. And so Mac and I looked at each other, and we decided we better make pace, and we just kind of sprinted, maybe not sprint, I can't run, speed walked back to my apartment. We had plenty of warnings, but we did not turn around until it was almost too late. We did end up making it, okay, I'm still here today. But we still did not look. You know, I could have checked my weather app, and I decided to just keep on plowing along. Jesus has given signs in the Gospel of John. He's given us even more than that in his word. Be careful. Do not reject his signs. There are some who believe from this passage, what we've seen, what we're going to see, that God only works on your heart for so long before he stops. And I would say I can maybe see that, but we don't know when that is. There is no possible way of knowing when God stops working on your heart. So I'd say is this. If you see him, if you hear him knocking on the door of your heart, don't turn away. Don't harden your heart towards him. Don't be rejecting him and his gospel. Warning number one, do not reject Christ's signs. Warning number two, do not reject Christ's message. We have an explanation from John. We have an explanation from Jesus, starting in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. This is the last public speech, I think, that Jesus gives before he dies. And it really shows us his prophetic ministry. First of all, he wants us to see that he is sent from God. Jesus is sent from God. Jesus is saying, by the way, you hear me say all these things. I'm not speaking on my own authority. Jesus didn't just make this stuff up. But Jesus came from God the Father. He's not doing any of these things apart from God. Now, was Jesus God? Yes. And he's proving that even in John. But he works in unity with God the Father. Jesus wasn't some wayward son, like I said earlier, who came down from heaven to do what he wanted to do. But he was sent by God on a mission for us to rescue humanity, to save our souls so that we could have life. And this is a message given to Jesus from God. Christ obeyed the Father's will. Jesus the prophet was sent by the Father. What he's saying here is if you reject Jesus, you reject God the Father. This would be especially important for these Jews who believe so passionately in God the Father but struggled to accept Jesus. He's going to add and keep adding to this in the next verse. Look at verse 45. And whoever sees me 
sees him. Jesus is saying, I am the image of God. In fact, Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. Genesis 1.26 tells us that we're made in God's image. Well, guess what we did? We sinned and we messed that image up. So Christ comes and he is the perfect image of God. He is God in the flesh so that you and I could see him. Now you might say, I don't see Jesus. Jesus isn't here Yes, but he came, he walked on the earth, he was an image for those who saw him, and he is perfectly preserved in scripture for us to see and understand. If you see Christ, you see God who sent him. People might say, I won't believe in a God I can't see, hear, touch, and feel. What does John say in his prologue to 1 John? We saw him, we touched him, we heard him. And now we testify of him to you. <clears throat> Jesus was the image of God in the flesh. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? Jesus came to the earth not to just be a cute baby, but to save us from our sins. Jesus the prophet was sent by the Father. Secondly, Jesus the prophet is our light. Jesus the prophet is our light. Look at verse 46. I have come into the world as light. Light is one of those analogies John loves to use. And the truth is, is this. Without Christ, we are in darkness. Now, I don't like to be in the dark. I don't know if you like to be in the dark. I'm a little worried about you. We want light. And what John is saying is, what Jesus is saying here, it's quoting Jesus, without him... The world is lost in darkness. If you look back at John, in fact, look back at John 1. We read it earlier in our service. John does so much here to help us understand this metaphor of light that he's using. John chapter 1. He said, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And we'll talk more about that later, but that is important to Christ's prophetic ministry as well. Look at verse Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So Christ is not only life, he is light as well. The light of the world. The light verse 5 shines in the darkness. He doesn't have to tell us that we're in darkness, it is just assumed the world is a dark place without the gospel. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, that's important, but came to bear witness about the light. John was a forerunner to Christ. Then in verse 8, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet, what? The world did not know him. Jesus came as the light, but guess what? You and I put our sunglasses on and we didn't want to accept him. We didn't want to embrace his light. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. John is saying from chapter one, guess what? You're going to see Christ do all these things. He's going to come to his own people and they're not going to believe him. They're not going to accept him. They reject Christ. Each and every one of us does that. His own people did that. But 
There were some who would believe in Jesus, who is the light. Talks about that in verse 12. But through those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, the light of the world, came into a dark world so that we could be saved. Jesus is our light. This is a major theme in the New Testament of the world being in darkness. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. The world is dark, blinded by Satan. Christ came and shone light into darkness through the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that shines light into our hearts so that we can understand the gospel of Christ. He also talks about it in Ephesians 4 as well. We were darkened in our understanding. You did not want to believe God on your own. You weren't just dark in the things you did with your hands. You were dark in the things you thought, in the desires you had, in your mindset. We are all dark, but Christ came as light into darkness. <coughs> Look at verses 46 and 47. And we might be tempted to think here that Christ is contradicting himself. Because notice what he says in verse 46. I have come to the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Christ came as a light, and he's saying, hey, I came so that, or that was verse 46, verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So Christ is saying, hey, I didn't come to judge and condemn the world, but it doesn't make a lot of sense with verse 48. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Well, which one is it? Is Christ not judging the world or is he judging the world? Because in back-to-back -back verses, he seems to be contradicting himself. So what is Christ saying? He's actually repeating what he said in John 3 to Nicodemus, that he didn't come to condemn the world. The ministry of Christ in his first coming was not to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. You and I were already condemned. We'd sinned against God. We had our punishment set. But Christ came on a rescue mission to save you and to save me. You wonder, how can a good God send people to hell? No, we sent ourselves to hell. God sends Christ with a life preserver, wanting to save all who can, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. So Christ did not come to judge the world, but rather to save the world. And then... In verse 47, so we see the heart of Christ. He wants to save us in his first coming. But in verse 47, if you reject Christ in his first coming, if you reject Christ before he comes again, then you have a judge. And it's Christ's message. Jesus the prophet, he comes with a message. But it's not just a, hey, take it or leave it, you know, do what you want. That message will condemn you if you do not believe it. You might say, well, I was already condemned. Yes, but you had the opportunity to believe and you turned it away. The words that Christ speaks says he will judge on the last day. Jesus is a prophet. 
He's not just a prophet, but he is a prophet. He has a message. I hope you can see that in this passage. He preaches that message to all, and everything that was said about Christ's first coming was 100% true. But guess what the danger is? Just like everything in his first coming was true, he is coming again. Christ will come again, and you'd better believe what he says about his second coming, that he will judge the living and the dead, that he will bring this world to its knees, that he will have perfect justice. So Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our light. Jesus came to save the world. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants all who would believe in him to be saved. But it requires believing the message of Jesus, the prophet. Just like John said, hey, people aren't listening to me because they have blind eyes and hardened hearts. Every person who believes in the gospel is a miracle. God has opened their eyes. God has softened their hearts to believe in what he said. The prophets were not popular. In fact, many of the Old Testament prophets, like I said, were killed for the messages they gave. So when Christ comes, he gives a message. And it's not a popular message. Yes, some believed in him, but it was really for the signs, for the meat, for the money, things like that. And just like the prophets of old, Jesus had people who rejected him. Jesus had people who made excuses. They said, hey, let me go bury my family before I follow you. Let me go attend my household. Some walked away sad. When Christ says, hey, sell everything and follow me, the rich young ruler walks away sad. Why? Because he has a lot of stuff. Jesus, the prophet, has a message, but it's not easy for everyone to accept. Eventually, the world would have enough of Jesus, the prophet. They would arrest him. They would beat him. They would kill him. To try to shut Jesus up. But did that work? No. Because guess what? Death could not hold him. And in the very act of the Jewish people saying, hey, we're going to silence Jesus the prophet, it made every word he said come to pass. Jesus was killed, but he did not stay dead. He was buried and he rose again. Jesus doesn't want to condemn you this morning. He wants to save you if you don't know him. Lastly, we want to see from what Jesus says. Jesus, the prophet, comes on the Father's authority. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me, <coughs> he has, who sent me himself has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. He's saying, hey, my message doesn't come from me. It comes from God. This is similar to what we talked about in subpoint number one when Jesus was talking. And I know that this commandment is what? Eternal life. You'd better believe what Christ says because it is life if you believe it and death if you don't. It comes from the Father. It says, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father would tell me, has told me. 
when I was growing up, we would often get calls saying dinner was ready if we were in our room. And sometimes my mom would send my siblings, Trenton or Chloe or Quinn, to say, hey, dinner's ready. And I'd be like, uh, I, I can wait. You know, my mom's not coming here yet. You know, it's just Trenton or Chloe. Like, it's not really one of my parents. But guess what? I would hear those footsteps of my mom or my dad. And I would think, oh, no, they were sent by dad. And now dad is coming because I still haven't come out. And he is the one who I really believe in, who I'm really afraid of. Jesus is God, yes, but Jesus came on the Father's authority. It's cool how we see the Trinity working within itself to bring salvation to the world. So do you believe his message? I would guess, I would gather most of us, if not all of us in this room, know Christ as Savior. Do you believe his message? You know that his message is true. What other things has Christ told you that you still don't believe? Maybe you're going through a hard time and you need encouragement, but you think there really is just no hope for me. Christ's words are true. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Maybe you're here this morning and you have sin that is just taking over your life. You're saved, but I just can't overcome this sin. Through Christ, you can have victory. Believe his words. Believe the words of scripture that through Christ, you can have victory over your sin. Maybe you're worried about the future. Maybe you don't know what's going to happen to you, to the world Believe the words of Christ, that he's coming with justice, yes, but in revelation that he will wipe away all tears. Believe in Jesus, the prophet, and his message. How do we respond to what John has for us about Christ, what John has said, what Jesus has said? First of all, we should believe his gospel. Like I said, I hope, I, I think, I trust most of you know Christ as Savior. Maybe you do need to believe his gospel. A gospel that he came to the world to preach, to give as a message, and that gospel that he died for so that you could know Christ. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that he's sent by the Father to save the world? Secondly, we can obey his teaching. We can obey his teaching. What has Christ told you to do that you're not believing? What commandments has Christ given you that you're not obeying? Maybe it's a promise that God has made that you think isn't true. Maybe it's a commandment he's given you to follow that you've not obeyed. Jesus is a prophet, but not in some kind of weird charismatic sense. He has a message for you, and he wants you to obey. He talked about his coming. Yes, he also gave us many commandments to obey. The Sermon on the Mount, plenty of texts in Scripture that show us how to live. And really, as you read the New Testament and the apostles' writings, we often think, okay, that's where the applicational stuff for Christians is. They are based in the teachings of Christ, what Christ have told, has told them. So do you obey his teaching? Lastly, do you share his message? Do you share his message with others? Jesus was a prophet. He's also God. 
he came to the earth with a message, but he doesn't intend for you to keep it to yourself. You may have unsaved family members, friends, people you've been praying for. Maybe you're like, what's the best Christmas gift I could give them? The best gift you could give them in any season, holiday, whatever, is the gospel. It is life if they accept it. It's death if they don't. Are you faithful to share the gospel with others? Believe his gospel, obey his teaching, share his message. Who is Jesus? He is a prophet who came to the earth with a message for us. And sadly, many will not believe in him. But for those who do, he gives them the right to become the sons of God, as John says. For those who do believe in the message of Jesus, the prophet, they are changed. They're transformed. They become new creatures in Christ. You've seen that in your own life. If you're a Christian, you've seen that in others as well. People who you would think they could never become a Christian. They're saved. They're changed. They're transformed. They're testimonies of Christ and his message. So believe in Jesus today, this Christmas season. As we're distracted with all these other things, believe in Christ and his message for you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the ministry of Christ. God, may we be faithful to share your gospel with others. May we be obedient to the message you have for us. Father, I pray for those who don't know you, anyone in this room, anyone that we know in our lives that aren't here, that they would accept the gospel, that they would repent and believe in you and what your son has done. Father, would you be with the rest of our service as we sing, as we consider our hearts before you in communion, as we celebrate your death and victory on the cross. Father, may we be faithful to worship you and remember you this morning. In Christ's name, amen.